I had a uh, message prepared for the guys, and I looked at my message, and I'm still going to preach that message. I ended up not preaching it, and it was like it was 20 pages taped. This message on the this message right here is on the back of my 20 page deal. Like I don't have all 20 pages up here, and I had a brother, a couple brothers. They said they wanted to take pictures of, or they wanted to look at my notes and see how I craft sermons together, and they wanted and they gave me a little little uh, interview on how I put my personal sermons together. And I said, it's really hard because I don't have a method, you know, after all these years. There's things I definitely search for. I want to draw people to Christ, you know. Uh, I want us to uh, realize our need for Christ and so forth. And I always try to, you know, but exegete the scripture, passage that God burns in my heart, cry out to the Lord, you know, and I want to hear what he's, he's saying to me. And, but I said, it's funny because you're asking me this right now when uh, I always want to remain open, too, to God saying to something to men that may be different than something he's moving my heart for perhaps another time or something that I might be missing him on so I said so it's kind of interesting you guys are asking me this because I have 20 pages written uh, and basically it's about taking your spiritual temperature that was not the title it's another title and I said uh, and they said can we film can we take pictures of your, your 20 pages I said sure I go you know I didn't do all the spell check and everything but you can take pictures of it you know and uh, anyway but in the, in, at the mean, in the meantime, I was continuing to seek the Lord because that 20-page message, I knew when I got up there and I gave it, it would be boom, 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 boom. I had to get through it. It would just be like one just bam. Then I'm off and I'd have to try to come back in my next, what, three and a half, four-hour drive over here. And uh, I was planning on trying to catch you guys just before the service and driving, you know, waking up a little bit later than taking off. We took off earlier, of course, just in case it was traffic. But it was pretty cool because uh, continue to seek the Lord because that message which I'm excited to preach. I, w I thought this needs to be a two-part message. So I can slow down and, you know, uh, make some strong points. And uh, because it's really, what are the marks of a true believer? So there are millions, I'm not kidding guys, millions of Christians, professing Christians out there that aren't saved. I'm convinced based on what the scriptures say, a saved person looks like. And that message was more about taking your spiritual temperature. But I wanted to uh, but at the same time, there were other things burning in my heart. And I thought, is this it, it, Lord? And then I got in trouble because I wanted to have my message ready so I could spend all kinds of time with guys. And I have to work on my message and go up and work on my message while we're all hanging out. I want to make sure I could sharpen, wanna, you know, iron, sharp as iron. So it's just kind of a trip how it worked out because in the midst of it, so I had nighttime, which I always have. So I sought the Lord through the night off and on, you know, and cried out to him and I'd be awake. And, and I got two messages <laughs> I made it even harder now. I've got three messages. Which of these two messages, Lord? I'm not kidding. It was just, they both were beautiful for me. And, uh, but one was on winning our families, winning souls, winning the lost, you know. And some things that had been burning on my heart already, that Lord was turning my heart, became a, a full-blown message. And that's what I'm going to share with you. That's what I shared with my brothers. And, I only, and it only ended up being seven pages on the back of paper, written out by hand, which is about three pages typed. So I'm like, wow, Lord, I don't message is short. Although the guys will say it's probably a two-hour message. No kidding. <laughs> you know how that goes. Anyway, uh, so I'm sharing with you this because I didn't want to double up. I didn't want to preach something separate. Uh, and I'm going to get into a couple of those things that were on my heart before. But I want to encourage you guys. This is what breaks, it really breaks my heart. We've, we've had, for instance, James Jackson. And he, him and I, we've had a great time spent a lot of time together this weekend and driving together up and back and so forth and but some of it has been kind of some of it was a little bit of lamenting because James is in the Bible Belt in Texas and it's hard to find genuine on fire 
believers, you know. And that's why they've coalesced together and fellowshiping together. And, and he's saying a, a lot of it's just so superficial. There's all this NAR heresy, New Apostolic Reformation, laughing revival stuff, word faith stuff, you know, all this junk going around. And they've been in and out of all of it, you know, before they found, you know, just s- straight Jesus, you know. And it was really heartbreaking to hear that. And then, you know, I'm talking to a brother named Jade, awesome brother. Uh, he went on the Israel trip, and he is in Florida, and he's, had, he's lamented the same experience, you know. Although he said, thank God he found a fellowship in Florida now where the pastor fears the Lord, loves the Lord, and is seeking to teach truth and stuff. So it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more peace. But he says, it's so hard, though, because he goes, like the ministry, everywhere I go, people just love the Lord. I'm not used to seeing this, you know. He's in the Bible Belt as well. It's like James, you know. And then John Brooks. A lot of you guys know John Brooks. He was there with Andrew. And pray for Andrew because he's thinking of becoming maybe a pastor in the future. But they're in North Carolina. Again, the Bible Belt. And they're like, and John's like, you know what, Joe? In California, you can't just start talking about Jesus at work, you know? But North Carolina at work, you start talking about Jesus freely because everybody claims to be a Christian. He goes, but hardly anybody's following the Lord, you know? There's so much compromise and it's the same people that are using the language and getting drunk and partying and everything else. Not all of them, you know. There's God-fearing people in all these areas that love Jesus. <clears throat> but all of them were lamenting with the same lament that there's so many people that claim to be Christians who are not truly following Jesus. And that would have fit really well into the message, the 20-page message I had typed up, actually. And uh, I thought about, man... But I would have to leave too much in the bone. I would regret preaching that message, not preaching everything I wanted to say on that subject. But I really thought about it. It related to my other message, one of the other messages I was working on. And that was that we need to evangelize the church. We need to evangelize the church. Because so much of the church, quote unquote, is not saved. There are so many people that claim to be Christians, but they aren't taking up their cross daily. They're not denying themselves daily. They're not following Christ daily. The Bible says as many are led by the Spirit of the children of God. They're, not, they're just doing their own thing when they get up. They're not saying, Lord, your will be done in my life. And we have to make sure we're not among those folks. Amen? So first and foremost, we need to make sure that we have been saved, that we have turned our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've surrendered to him. And you know when you've surrendered to him, when you're faced, when you first come to Christ, with temptations that vie for authority in your life first and foremost over Jesus Christ and whether he's going to be first in your life or not. And I heard some radical testimonies. Uh, Nico gave an amazing testimony as a young man that was born into a Christian home and great upbringing, but at a certain time in his life when he got a bit older, as a high schooler, Chad's wrestling team, he was being challenged to truly turn his life over to Jesus, everything. And he did, you know, and it was very, very powerful testimony. And it was such a contrast with Nathan who gave his testimony because Nathan as well was brought up in a Christian home, but he had gone astray for quite a, quite a bit of time. And his testimony get, get, got very dark as to everything he went through. His dad's Jim Jones, you know. Oh, not his dad, I'm sorry. His granddaddy is, was, before he died, uh, Jim Jones. Who uh, the guy in a massacre where he led 900 people to the death by giving them Kool-Aid uh, with laced with poison, purposely, uh, and his dad was on a traveling basketball team in Guyana, 
and therefore his and it was his adopted dad, you know, and so therefore he wasn't there when Jim Jones led everybody to their death, so his dad was spared, and it was about a year ago or so, just over a year ago, where I was sitting with him at Chili's. He came visit the church, and uh, sat with him, sat with him and his dad as well, his stepdad, who loves Jesus, and. He was on meth and everything else, coming off of meth and all that stuff. And they want to talk about, hey, does he need a 12-step program? And he said in his testimony that I said, you need the one-step program. You need to surrender to Jesus because he was on everything. And he surrendered to Jesus and fully surrendered. And you should hear his testimony. You can probably hear both of those testimonies. You should hear Nico's testimony. It's amazing what God is doing in the young men and women in this fellowship. And these are future pastors, many of these folks, I believe, uh, God's doing awesome things. But the key was surrender to put Jesus first in their lives, you know. And then Nick gave his testimony at the front end of his message because there was no testimony before his message. So he went into like maybe almost a half hour testimony. And it was awesome. And guess what it was? Surrender, you know. Born in a Christian church. uh, Loved the Lord. Grew in the knowledge of the Lord and so forth. Nick Nick was an awesome athlete. White Sox were interested in him, becoming a pro and drafting him. Didn't work out, but in his uh, college years, for a few years there, he hung out with the wrong people, and and God brought him back strong, you know. And interesting, because Nathan, who gave his testimony, his dad had a similar story, with scouts looking at him and thinking he was going to make MLB. Didn't work out, but both these guys are on fire for Jesus. And Nick's thing was having to fully surrender to the Lord. And I thought, wow, look, at these guys have not talked to each other. But each of their testimonies had a very similar emphasis. And Nick's was incredibly powerful as well, you know. And I thought it was interesting because my message was how before we can be witnesses, we need to make sure Christ is first in our lives. And we need to make sure that when we share the gospel with people, that they need to come to a faith that puts Christ first, where they put their trust in him for salvation, you know. And uh, I just think it's imperative that we realize what the gospel is and that we're sharing it. And one thing, we, we call ourselves evangelicals, right? And now the term evangelicals, it means to evangelize. It means that we believe uh, in the mission that Jesus gave the apostles uh, and the church to go and reach the lost with the message of the cross and that we are recipients of that gospel. And Jesus says, the Father sent me, now I send you. And that we want to see the wor- the, as many people in the world as possible saved. Amen. So Father, we pray in your Son's name that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us through this message and that you would shake our world so much, Father, that the foundations, everything loose, everything that's not of you, everything that is hindering us from sharing the gospel, the the fetters would break, Father, and that we would be built strictly on the foundation of Christ and making his name known. And we pray this uh, in your Son's name. And Father, I pray that you'd energize me, Father, because this this funk is uh, coming from the men's retreat, Father, coming back in the morning and getting taking care of things after that. Just pray that everything would work out and that your spirit be at work. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. So it's interesting that I want to encourage you guys. This is basically how to win the lost. And I think every one of us is called to win the lost. We're a body, the body of Christ. As the Father sent me, I send you. You may be a hand, you may be a foot, you may be a nose, you may be part of an elbow. Whatever part you are of the body, you're intricately important to what the Lord wants to do. And he wants us to win the lost. And these are just some things I want to throw at you. Uh, things that the Lord's ministered to me through the years. This was a very easy message for me to put together. You know, I didn't have to, the 20-page message I was going to preach, a lot more work. ton of scripture. I'm going to be using scripture here too. This was easy because this is stuff that is in my heart when it comes to sharing uh, things that 
and I'm not saying everything I say is the way you should approach everything, unless it's scriptural, right? Because there's th ways I share that maybe somebody else could share. We all have different fingerprints. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're different for a reason because God uses people differently and we complement one another. But there's scriptural principles here that can really help you. And one thing I'm going to encourage you, first and foremost, that I think is a huge key if you want to witness. And by the way, when I'm talking about sharing, like I was talking about sharing with the men, it needs to apply to our families. So I was talking about winning your wife with the men. If you're a man here, talking about winning your wife, if your wife doesn't know the Lord here as well. Many women here, because the men are coming back for the men's retreat, if you want to win your husband, maybe your husband doesn't know the Lord. Want to win your children to the Lord. We talked about those things, and we'll get into those things a bit. Uh, family members, siblings, you know. Uh, th those children that you're wondering, hey, do they really know Jesus? These things should really matter to us because we're here for a short time and eternity is forever. Amen? And it's either eternal separation for God or eternal bliss with the Lord. So it's important that we, we, we target our family members. I was reading, uh, this wasn't, lot, some stuff, you know, and I've got to stick with my notes because I haven't started yet, really, right? And, the, but, uh, and this isn't in my notes either, but I was just thinking on when I was driving home last night how this guy that was possessed by Legion, remember? the demoniac at the tombs of the Gadarenes. Remember, he was, I mean, this guy was in darkness. He was cutting himself. You know, we have the culture of death all around us, amen. But he was cutting himself. He was, in, he was chained in the tombs because that's, they didn't know how to deal with him. There's the mental hospitals of the day, right? Chained him at the tombs, but, but he gravitated toward death. And, and he's possessed by a bunch of spirits named Legion, which could be up to 6,000 spirits or more. And we don't know how many spirits were actually in him. But when he was delivered, he was submitted to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He was bowed down to him and listening to him. And he wanted to follow Jesus and go evangelize with Jesus. And it's powerful because God can do that to a person. And his heart changed and he wanted to reach the lost. Can you imagine what he went through and all of a sudden he wants to follow Jesus and serve him wherever? You know what Jesus said? Go and witness to your family first, basically. You know, win them. So when he put the apostles in the Great Commission and set them you know, on fire with his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he, he took them, he told them to start where? In Jerusalem, Judea, right? Then where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. Start, start at home, amen? Start at home. And he got them ready, man, before he's just saying, he didn't just say start at home. Before he died, he took them into the place where uh, Pan was worshipped and to Caesarea with his big old cave and everything with all these niches with demon gods on them. And they're, in, they're not in their Jewish territory. And he's saying in that area when he was in Caesarea and you have the gates of Pan there, which was symbolic of the gates of hell for many people and not the literal gates of hell, but Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was preparing his disciples to go out into the world and face the demonic world and be evangelists and that greatest and that he would all power and authority be given, is, was given to him, amen. But at the same time, even though he was getting them ready for this exciting, you know, you know, plunging themselves in the darkness of the world and shining the light in this darkness and it would be so exciting guess what he wanted them to start at home still in judea amen so i want to encourage you to witness to your your families you know be a light to your, and i'm sure you are to one degree or another but don't give up the fight i don't care how many seeds you've sown and one of the huge keys when you're witnessing the family i found this out firsthand is prayer is prayer and then when you're done praying then pray then when you're really done praying pray again okay don't stop praying for your family members. And I'll tell you why. I know firsthand. Because when I got saved, in my, in my family, when I got saved, it was like, I'm going to leave my family to Jesus. I'm going to leave my friends to Jesus. I didn't know how hard it would be because I didn't know any Christians. It wasn't taught evangelism. 
One of the beauties of my conversion was I was just reading the scripture, just reading the word of God. And I could, I'm reading Jesus' words about what it means to be a Christian, about how you have to take up your cross and follow him, about how you can't take hold of the plow and then look back, about how you have to count the cost, about how you have, if you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it, you'll save it. If I love my family more than him, I'm not worthy of him. I'm seeing all that. So I knew what it meant to be a Christian and, and, and to be sold out. And I said, hey, I love my family, but Jesus is first. So when I first got saved, and I cried out to the Lord. I was delivered from the powers of darkness, and Jesus invaded my life, you know. I kicked in my Fender amp. I gave away my guitar, you know, and because I was, music was my life at the time. And I surrendered everything to Jesus, you know. And I remember uh, my friends were like, I wasn't partying with them anymore. One of my friends told another friend who told me, that maybe he told uh, Tom, my brother, because Tom hung out with us. I think he might have come from Tom. He says, yeah, so-and-so, I think it was Mike. He goes, yeah, Mike doesn't really like hanging out with you now because you're always preaching about his music and you know, it's hard to get drunk and all that stuff or whatever they were doing, you know. And that's what the stuff we we're doing, smoking pot, drinking. Cause, but I would go around them just once in a while to be light, speaking to their lives, amen. But not to succumb to what they're doing. You've got to be really careful with that. So I hardly didn't spend a whole lot of time with them, but I did that. But one time they came over and they were going to go to a party. And, you know, and I get this, you know, they're all coming that, that meet me at my house. I'm like, but Tom's going, I'm not going. And I thought, you know what, I need to, uh, I'm going to go. And just, I'm not going to dress up. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm just going to be a witness. I'm going to witness people wherever they're going. They're not going to like it, but hey. And I started sharing. And then, you know, there's this gal singing, Legions of the Grave, this Black Sabbath song. Just, she's a lead singer of this band, you know. And, uh, and she's just, and I'm thinking, man, it's totally satanic. Break time. She's filling around with bass. Oh, go tell her about Jesus. I go, you know what you're singing? It's satanic. Oh, yeah, I changed the words, you know, when I get to the satanic stuff. I go, oh, wow. I go, it's still satanic, though. And long story short, I invited her to see a presentation. And I was only saved a few months, but I was already showing people the music and stuff that I was into, showing them, hey, this is, there's evidence that this is real. Gave her these presentations. And I gave you this part of my life, because I don't usually talk about this part of my testimony. But this was where the Lord showed me, are you surrendered or not? Because I was serving him, denying myself of everything, just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And when I sat down with her, and she said, you know, I'm dropping out of my band, you know. And she's this, you know, beautiful knockout, you know, right, to, to me. And I'm like, and she's, and you know what? Do you like horseback riding? Right, I'm showing this presentation. You want to go horseback riding with me? And I'm like, wow, Lord, thou hast rewarded thy servant, you know. <laughs> and I ride off into the sunset with this gal, you know, and thinking this was all great, you know. Thinking, wow, because I'm a new Christian. I'm like, wow, this is how this works, you know. At least, you know. And we're horseback riding, we're doing everything. And the next six months, we're hanging out together. She's praying with me. We're reading the Word together. Uh, we have this, you know, this what seems like a great relationship. But guess what? She had been a Jack Mormon. She was not, you know, brought up in Mormonism. And she's a, she's a really neat gal, but she needed that relationship with Jesus, right? And, and then, so as our relationship, as, you know, she's getting to the Lord and stuff, she started hanging out with her parents a little bit more, going back to the Mormon church. And I was just finding a church. So I had bought hundreds of dollars worth of books on Mormonism from the Deseret book, Mormon bookstore, researching Mormonism. And God uses this stuff to cause you to grow. And I had totally, you know, got this whole presentation together I was giving her, going to give to her. But at the same time, uh, she had said, you know, that if somebody tries to talk you out of Mormonism, it's considered satanic. You're not supposed to look at it. It's like the JWs. You can't, Jehovah Witnesses can't look at your literature. You know, hey, if somebody had literature on me and they say, hey, look, Joe's a false prophet. He said this, this, and this, this. I wouldn't say, say, you can't look at that. 
that would be a problem if I said you can't look at that. You should be able to look at anything. I have nothing to hide. But so I told the Lord, if she doesn't look at, if she looks at it and she says no, I'm not leaving Mormonism because she started to dig her feet in a bit. I have to surrender and say, okay, we can't have a relationship. You know, because we're talking marriage and everything, the whole nine yards, right? And then I said, Lord, but if she says she won't look at it, I'm going to have to cut the relationship off too. And keep in mind, we had no distance between ourselves. There was nothing wrong with our relationship at all. It was just all, we want to be married, we love each other, except this spiritual wall. All of a sudden became very strong. And sure enough, she said she wasn't, she wasn't allowed to look at it. And at that moment, you know, I remember breaking off that relationship and I told her, I, we got to break it off. And, and I remember being, because I'm young at that time, I'm a kid, you know. I'm, I'm a new believer, I'm probably about 18 years old or so. And uh, I remember being on this linoleum floor in my room, crying on the ground, holding my stomach because I had to cut it off and I knew I couldn't be with her. And there was no reason like a fight or anything like that other than I can't because of Jesus. And I remember just uh, holding my stomach, crying. Okay, Lord, resolve it. I'm going to follow you no matter what. I didn't know any Christians still, you know. But I knew I had to do what was right. And then the phone rings. That's the phone. It's her. She's like, can't we just be best friends and still hang out every day? Yeah, well, yeah, let's try that. All my feelings are there, you know, still. We go to the beach. Didn't work out. You know, I'm like... I can't just be your best friend, you know? And we drive home and we just talked about how this isn't going to work, you know? But do you think my life would be different if I would have married this gal? Think I'd be up here right now? No. That's my point. You make compromises that even seem right. Oh, well, maybe she'll come to Jesus later. I could win her to Christ after we get married, you know? Doesn't work out that way for so many people. And I knew the Lord was calling me to full surrender. And that's why I've always been, because I've read the scripture. And that's why when I see this wimpy Christianity that claims to be Christian, when it really it's about, you know, self-help stuff or Joel Osteen, live your best life now, you know, or God wants you to follow him so you could be, you know, healthy and wealthy. And, and it's, there's no cross. There's no self-denial. It, it's repugnant to me because it leaves people dead in their sins. And we have to truly surrender. And... I want to encourage you right now. Make sure you're surrendered to the Lord. You only have one life to live. And after that, the judgment. Amen. So you want to make sure you make that life count for Jesus. So, uh, and by the way, fast forward a few, so many years, you know, I'm at my father-in-law's 50th birthday party, Lisa's dad's 50th birthday party, which is really weird for me now to say that because now I'm 56, 57 next month. Ouch. You know, anyway, uh, but I'm at that party, and so I don't know, I'm 30 or something. No, not even 30. And, uh, and <laughs> she's on the other side because she had been best friends with Lisa's sister. And, and she's a great gal, you know, as far as respect to other people. She's always nice and everything. And I was like, but I was staying away from that side where she was, you know, because I was talking to a guy. Remember the guy I said that's only, you know, I mean, I think I'm eating like a, you know, some meat at that point but remember the guy that was trying to say you can only eat vegetables you know and then he started macking the meat same 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 day same party <laughs> you know i use that illustration you know a lot happened at the party you know and then it was time to go sit with your fat least and everybody and there she was she came across from me and she's sitting right across from me 
And I'm like, okay. And her husband's right here. I could go like this and touch him in the head because his back is to me. And she's like, and it was a powerful question. She goes, don't you ever think about what it could have been like if we would have just stayed together? You know? And I was like, I had to be honest, but brutally honest, but gentle. But I said, you know what? I praise God for my life. And I'm sure of the Lord. I got a beautiful wife I love so much and, and uh, a little girl because that time I just had Holly, you know? A little girl and just going forward to the Lord, you know? And she's talking about how, you know, she hangs out and talks to her friends and if they watch soap operas and they gossip and the cult of sex she lives and stuff like that. And I'm literally leaving, leaving there, guys, clicking my heels. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus, you know? Because God gave me a different life. My life would have been so different. And not long after that, you know, sadly, her and that guy, you know, were done, you know? And I thought, well, how my life would have been so different, you know, if I wouldn't have made certain choices. I'm telling you right now, especially if you're younger, the choices you make are going to determine where you are years later. Big time, okay? We've had millions of people watching our stuff, our videos, thousands and thousands of people getting saved through the stuff that we put out. That wouldn't be happening right now. Right now, I might be going to the Mormon church just to make her happy and then her bringing her to an evangelical church. And, but that's not me, man. I could never settle for that because that's not our God. He doesn't tolerate that. He wants full devotion to him, amen? I mean, he paid the ultimate price and he calls us to know him and love him and follow him. And I want to encourage you younger people and, and praise God because guess what? Some of you have made a lot of similar decisions and you're here today or you're listening by live stream because you did put Jesus first and there were temptations in your life that could have totally thrown you off the path. So I want to encourage you, first and foremost, when it comes to being a witness, you need to make sure that Jesus is first in your life. That's key. Because when we're surrendered to him and we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, it says we're able to prove his perfect will. Not only in our own lives, but also the impact we can have on others. And I want to encourage you to pray, pray, and pray regarding the lost. Because when I was witnessing to my siblings, you know, sharing with them, uh, it was almost like speaking to stone walls at first. I mean, really. Not, no, you know what? Stone walls is a compliment to my siblings at that time, actually. <laughs> uh, when I think about it now, because they were, some of them were raging stone walls, you know. Peggy and Patty were just very, very strong, antagonistic to the gospel at first, you know. Because they're in the world, you know. And, and I've changed, and it's like they're blinded to the truth at a certain point, you know. And then Tom would listen a little bit, you know, and my mom would listen, but she, I could see when my mom was doing dishes, I'm sure Jesus with her, I can see, she's like, it's my son, Jesus freak, but I'm going to get these dishes clean and get through this, you know? That's how I kind of felt so, mom at first, at first, you know? And, uh, and my dad, I changed your diapers, you know? I've been around the world, I fought, I was in World War II, you know, all that stuff. You know, and you're going to tell me what life's about. So I'm like, wow, this could be hard, difficult, Lord. And I'd be sharing with them, and I think Kathy was a little out of the house right then, at that time, and but she was, you know, now or whatever, not, you know, you know, I am woman, hear me roar kind of thing. A little bit, right? She was a liberal of the household at that time. And uh, not anymore, thank God. Uh, anyway, uh, it was crazy. So what I ended up doing was sharing with the f different family members. But, and I say the stone wall would have been a, a compliment actually because there was some rage there, you know. And... And which the rage can be good when you get if you're witnessing your, witness your family members and you get rage back there's something going on if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs the one that yelps is the one that what got hit <laughs> okay so don't think that's always bad news okay it can be ugly but 
All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm not saying it's going to be better roses or walk in the park. It's going to be tough at times. So with my family members, though, I'm, I remember it was easy because one thing I remember that this is important to remember when you're witnessing is Titus chapter 3, that you're not supposed to forget. Paul says, remind them that they once too were disobedient, you know, full of malice and hatred and all these things. And then the grace of God that has appeared, you know, that, that, that appears to all men has appeared to us. God's grace invaded our lives when we were like that. So, I, so when I was reading the scriptures, like, okay, I got to remember that when I'm sharing with people, I was once like them. In fact, I was worse than the stone wall or the raging wall. I was very anti-Christ. I even wrote songs against Christianity and stuff and pro-Satan, even though I didn't believe in Satan at the time and then came to realize he did, oh, wow, he does exist. I've been played like a flute, man. Anyway, so I'm encouraging you guys to be patient, remembering that we were lost, we were blind with your family members. And then I want to encourage you to pray because it's when I started praying for my family members and it wasn't like, I want to pray more often for them. It was like, I'm going to be deliberate about praying for them. I'm going to get on my knees and start praying that God would take the veil. Because I started to realize, hey, it's not anything I can say that's going to persuade them. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that converts them. Amen. He has to convict them. Right? He has to open their eyes, show them their need for Jesus. He has to set their gaze on Jesus and justify them and, and come into their hearts and regenerate them. And I began to really pray for each of my family members that, Lord, please save them. You know? open their eyes and after I started giving myself to prayer for my family members one by one they started getting saved bam 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 and it was like dominoes almost you know and uh, my mom actually got saved at a salvation an altar call I gave uh, at a church because I started I was being invited to speak at churches in different places before I was pastoring I was an evangelist and she came when I was probably I don't know maybe 20 years old or something and I spoke at a church and I called people to repentance and uh, it's a small church, and a few people came up, including an older couple. I think they were in like late 70s. The pastor came up and said, wow, these people have been visiting for a few weeks, and now they're excited about Jesus. And, and she came up, man, brought me to tears, you know. And, but one by one, I was able to see my family members, not, but truly come to Jesus. You guys know my family. They all love the Lord, you know, each, each kid. And, of course, we all then. <laughs> my dad, I don't think, had a chance, you know, at that point, because then six against one you know and dad I said dad man you used to say Joe you're going through a phase well th dad this phase is like going on 40 years now you know you got to give up you know and uh he died what, last year and uh but he was confessing Christ as his savior uh for quite a bit just before he died and uh but it's interesting guys we have to you never know where somebody's at unless you see fruit and he was a bit older but he wanted to pray and he was always open to talking about Jesus at that at the end point which was important so I want to encourage you guys the prayers made a huge difference for me in, in evangelism and that affected the way I do evangelism ever since I mean when I started pastoring it was a no-brainer that when I get up at the pulpit I'm, I'm not just praying one prayer I'm praying over and over and over again for the message uh, for the delivery of the message for the people that would come to the message for divine appointments I can't tell you get and a lot of pastors have this problem which is a good problem did somebody, did my wife call you? Or did, and that happens all the time. It's like, no, but the Lord called me to preach something, you know, so maybe you need to think about what was said, you know. But praying is so huge in evangelism, and I think that's underestimated. I really, really do. I think if you're talking about how to win souls and you don't talk about prayer, uh, that's something that you need to recalibrate and start to focus on more because prayer is huge. Now, uh, 
I've just said a lot of things I didn't say in my man's message, which was two hours and probably an hour longer than I have here. So I'm going to cut through a lot of my notes, but I'm going to say the things because I did mention praying to them. But I want to talk about a few things, a few features. And because I want to cover so many things, I'm not going to be able to get into depth into any one thing. But I want to cover things that are important is this is one isn't usually hard. And this, one, this is one of those ingredients when people are being evangelized that you still hear. So this isn't something that's, I'm, I'm upbraiding the church of, that belongs to Jesus around the world saying, hey, we're blowing it here. Uh, because, and, and some do blow it here, don't get me wrong. But we need to show, we need to represent our God for who he is, amen? And we need to let people know that God is love, amen? But that he is also holy, 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 amen? And that he demands righteousness, amen? And, but uh, most people share the love of God to one degree or another, but a lot of people won't, okay? There's forms of determinism out there right now, and I've gone witnessing and sharing, and I see other people sharing, and they're yelling and screaming and just hatred, you know, and anger, you know? I think of the uh, Westboro Baptist, right? Westboro Baptist, you know, they go to funerals, and they talk about how that person who died is in hell, and, and they scream at people, and, and because they served in the U.S. government, and the U.S. government is, you know, allows gay marriage therefore your son was evil and and they're on the are they you think they're winning a lot of people to christ yes or no no and they don't believe people can turn to christ because they're five-point calvinists and they believe that you don't have a choice your salvation and they don't believe god loves everybody okay i've been on their website i've looked at several of the guy's messages and over and over again he derides the idea that jesus that god so loved the world that he gave his son for the world and so uh we have to make sure that we emphasize who this God is that we turn to, that he is love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said that, by the way. We look at that verse, we think it's a verse that we use to remind ourselves of God's love, and we do. But that was in the context of evangelism. That was the context of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, right? Letting him know that God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his son for the world that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in that context, it's important because a lot of the Pharisees had this mindset that the gospel was, or they didn't really understand the gospel, but that salvation was just for the Jews, period, right? So we need to let people know that God loves them. So this is something that I've incorporated in my witnessing for years. When I share with somebody and I'm sharing with them, I don't come high and mighty that you're a rotten sinner. I'm a special elect person, and you know what? You're, you're wicked, you know, and maybe God will choose you, maybe not. No, I let them know, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a, I'm a beggar, and, I'm come, and you come to them, and when I talk to them about their sin, because you have to talk to them about their sin, you have to talk to them about the law and how they've broken God's law and the coming judgment and how they need the Lord, amen? You have to talk about those things. But you know what? I make sure they understand that I'm not talking to them and I'm not in the sense of talking down on them. I'm not saying, hey, I'm this and you're that. I'm letting them know, guess what? I'm a sinner too. I you know what? I've received this grace of this great God. You know? I've, I've, he's transformed my life. And I'm the, a, a be beggar coming to a fellow beggar saying, hey, you know what? A, a leper who's been healed coming to another leper saying you could be healed too. Not based on our own righteousness, but based on the grace of our master. Amen? So, I, I, so that's something when I witness to people and I'm giving them, say, say you give them the good person test. Hey, have you ever lied? You know, have you ever taken something that belonged to you? And you start bringing them under conviction that they're a sinner, right? I let them know, guess what? We've all done this. So all of a sudden they recognize, and by, by doing that, you're doing a couple things. You're letting them know that you are not saying you're better than them 
And you're also letting them know your testimony that this great God has saved you. And that's another thing you don't want to forget when you're witnessing to people the power of your testimony. When Deco gave his testimony at the men's retreat, and then when Nathan gave his testimony at the men's retreat, and then when Nick, before his teaching, he gave his testimony at the men's retreat. So powerful. And we start to get jaded in respect to our own testimony, not realizing how powerful it is when someone sees that you've come out of death to life. And it's so powerful. And we start to not even recognize how powerful that is. But you got to realize, guys, there are millions and millions and millions of people. They're taking Xanax. They're depressed. They feel guilty because of things they've done. They don't know the answer to their sin problem. They don't even hear it called sin. They just, it's, it's given a bunch of different names. But deep down, we all have the shame. We all have guilty consciences. We all wear clothes because deep down, we, we know that we're naked without God. And we may not totally be able to say what that is about but when you start to articulate it that we're sinners that have been estranged from God and that the answer is not in a bottle of pills the answer is not in some philosophy that what might make you feel better for a little while the answer is not a higher economic status or being accepted on Facebook by a certain in crowd the answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him and being forgiven through what he did on the cross and having your identity in him as a child of God and being heaven bound for all of eternity that's the answer and when you start to share that and you share your testimony that's really powerful so I want to encourage you share share the uh pray 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 i want to encourage you uh let them know who this god is that loves them that he created them in his image that he loves them that we've gone astray from him but he's pursuing us through the gospel amen and let them know your own testimony that you've i mean remember jesus healed the guy man the pharisees were all ticked off because he was a blind guy now he's walking around seeing and they're like trying to get him to say something against jesus he goes all i know is i couldn't see i was blind and now i see I mean, what do you do with it? Then they want to kill him. And Satan hates our testimonies. Amen? Because it's so powerful. He knows it. Amen? So share your testimony. Okay? These are just a bunch of ideas. And I'm not expounding on them like I would like to. Because if I expound on them, I won't be able to get to a lot of the ideas I want to share. And this isn't a five-part message. It's just one. Now, you're going to... Uh, and I'll tell you why you want to share the love of God. The Bible says we love him because he what? First loved us. When people see that they're sinners and they've strayed from God and they start to realize that this God is propitious toward us, that he's loving toward us, he cares about us, that he's, he loves us. It does something radical in our hearts. The Spirit of God convicts us and shows us that his arms are open like the prodigal son's father, the prodigal son's father, amen. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, it's his kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. Think about what that means. So when you share the kindness of God, God uses that to lead people to repentance that's God's goal when you're evangelizing is to bring people to repentance not just to say some sinner's prayer that they may or may not mean but in their heart where they because it says God doesn't will that any would perish but that all would come to repentance Jesus said unless you repent you will all likewise perish people have to repent that's another thing we need to make sure that when we give a gospel presentation that and I'm not saying you always have to use the word I can show gospel presentations but they don't use the word but guess what's always happening when someone gets saved repentance because repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind that, re, that turns from that broad road and trusting self to the narrow road to trust Jesus and begin to follow him. Amen. Some say, well, the word repentance is, you know, not used in the Gospel of John. Well, guess what? In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and teach repentance for the remission of sins. It's part of the Great Commission. And guess what? Repentance in the Gospel of John is there, though. They love darkness more than light. They refuse to come to light lest the, their deeds be exposed. Repentance, the idea of turning from darkness to light is what they had to do. 
whether the word is used or not. So uh, we need to make sure people know that they need to turn to put their trust in Jesus. Amen. And I use the word repentance a lot because a lot of people need to hear that word in these days. Amen. Now, uh, so you want to make sure that you're also, and, I, and no one's going to be perfect. I don't want anybody to discourage when I say this, but you want to learn some apologetics, you know, because sometimes I'll share with people and there, sometimes you talk to people and the soil is just so ripe. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, wow, they're just so ready to receive Christ. And, and you don't need a lot of apologetics to show them the reality of who God is, the evidences of God, the evidences of, of the gospel and the resurrection. Uh, we saw a ton of people, a lot of people come to Christ. We went to Mexico to help Jonathan build his home. And now, thank God, the building is on the way. And uh, praise God for you, those who have stepped up, who have helped to bring finances in to build the church building as well, because that's on its way now, too. And good things are happening. Okay, money's coming in. It's beautiful. Um, in fact, I think... I want to be careful here because last time I said this uh, wasn't totally true. I guess there was still a need for money, and there was. But uh, somebody just shared with me that had given a, a good amount of money there. So we're, we're probably in good shape with that building. But obviously we need the finances to continue for the work that Jonathan is doing because the, that church is not going to be sustained through the poor people in those communities, okay, because they have no money hardly. So that's a work that whereby we give to the poor as a fellowship, and we continue to help sustain that individually, and the church itself helps to a degree as well. But I want to encourage you guys, when I'm out there witnessing to, in, to, in Mexico, guess what? Many of these folks already believe in God. They believe the, the scripture. They just haven't heard, they've heard it through the prism of Catholicism. So they think they have to work and do all these different things and run, keep, go through all these hoops and keep all these sacraments and, and then burn off their sins in purgatory to be saved. And they don't understand what Jesus did for them on the cross and how he paid the price in full. Amen. So when I witness to Roman Catholics, it's very easy to bring them to Jesus because they're already on the ground of accepting what I'm reading to them from Scripture. Now I just show them from Scripture that you're not saved by your works, you're saved by faith. And I show them where Catholicism has a false gospel and the eyes open and they realize, wow, there it is in black and white. And so often they'll come to Christ pretty easily. But then here in Southern California where I live, when you're on Third Street or witnessing here in Seam, you're witnessing different places, it's not like, oh, sign me up. I want to follow Jesus. I totally believe the word of God. They've been brought up with Darwinism, right? They've been brought up with New Age ideas. They've been brought up with strange philosophies. They, they're, they're usually eclectic and they take a little piece of this and a little piece of that and this becomes their worldview. And we're supposed to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And you do that through apologetics, okay? So that means uh, if somebody denies the existence of God. And, and you get a little paradigm of this, by the way, in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts, you know what? When Paul is witnessing to the Jews, he's on common ground with them. So he's talking to them as though God, they have the same God, and he exists, and they need to turn to him and repent and get right. You don't see a lot of apologetics. But when you get to like... Mars Hill, Athens, Acts 17. It's a different animal because these folks don't understand even the creator, the one God who created all things. They believe in many gods or they believe in Stoicism or they believe in Epicureanism or some ism. And, and Paul will quote their poets and then he'll say, this is the truth though, you know. He goes, you have all these gods. And he says, Paul was grieved when he went to Athens because there were so many idols, you know. And he says, you have all these gods, but he says, I see that you are, you are demon worshipers in the Greek, is what it really says, you know, worshipers of the demons, you know, which is a word that came to mean religious too. And he says, and, and one of the inscriptions is to the unknown God, because they didn't know the name of that God. And then Paul says, let me tell you who the unknown God is, you know. And so he's using apologetics. He's reasoning with them. 
And what I'm telling you is it's important to know what's out there, what's being taught and so forth, but being first and foremost rooted in the scripture so you can answer those lies. And so you can refute, refute Darwinism. You can refute, refute Darwinism so easy because Darwin talked about if it can be shown in Origin of the Species, if it can be shown that something can't evolve incrementally from one stage to the next over large periods of time, then my theory will have been refuted. Well, guess what? It's been shown. We have what's called irreducible complexity. Irreducible complexity is that you have such complexity in your eyeball, for instance. I'm reading a book by uh, Stuart Burgess that was just given me at the men's retreat by Rich Cromwick. Uh, you know, where I get books on creation, you know. Uh, Rich was basically a theistic evolutionist when he came to Blessed Hope, and I was going through Genesis, the first few chapters. And then he got convinced that evolution's wrong. And, you know, you get, that, get around an ex-smoker, he's the ex-evolutionist, you know. <laughs> he's read hundreds of books on it. And this book he gave to me by this guy is an engineer. And this engineer, by the way, I think it was 2015 Olympics, they whooped our rear ends in bicycling because this guy developed a bike for a Briton that just blew away our bikes because he's such a great engineer. And this same engineer, Burgess, he talks about the knee. And it, the first chapter is about how you have you know, the interior cruciate or you have the ACL, you have these different things. And it's so he's got the diagrams. And he's like, you cannot have this knee. This knee cannot work unless you have all these pieces together. And I can not get in depth, but it's pretty powerful. He goes, you can't have, you know, an ACL and not have this or whatever. You have to have all this working at the same time. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. It doesn't just grow to finally work at a certain stage. You either have it all intact or you don't. That's what we call irreducible complexity. There's complexity that's irreducible. And you, can't irredu you can't reduce it to a certain point to where it evolved from this certain point to here. It wouldn't work and the species would die off. You know what I'm saying? So you can use, there's a lot of things you can use off. You can use cosmological argument, design, as I'm using now. You can use information, DNA. You've heard me use information, DNA a lot. Bill Gates saying, you know what? What's in the DNA code is way beyond anything we have in, in uh, computer programming. Yeah. And those computer programmers were programmed. And every author, every writing has a mind writing it. Amen. Well, there's a mind that wrote our code. It's, way, it's not random, guys. It's functional. And then they would look at the junk DNA for years. They're saying, oh, there's junk DNA. Why is there junk DNA? Now they're admitting right now, I've read the literature, okay? I read Francis Collins, who was a surgeon, or uh, he was the head of the Genome Project and served under President Obama. And I was invited with like 19 or 20 other uh, leaders to go to a place in the valley. I don't even know why they invited me, but they invited me to be one of the guys that's going to, uh, how can we get theistic evolution in the, in the church? I'm like, why are they inviting me here? I don't believe in theistic evolution. They invited the wrong guy, man. And I was able to talk to Francis Collins. And that's when he was serving under Obama. And he said he couldn't say too much about the faith. But he, he claimed to be a Christian because he said, my family, my parents were atheists. But I knew there was something wrong morally in my heart. And I do believe there's a creator that created the universe. But he believes also he used evolution. And I was able to uh, engage him a little bit. And I said, if you guys really want to get this in the churches, I go, you know what you should be doing? You should be debating with those who disagree with you. So the other Christian's view could be seen as well and see which one holds up. But I'm confident the other, the, and that they don't want to go down that route. And that's because I think there's so much evidence of a creator and irreducible complexity and information and everything. That, and by the way, Francis Collins came out and he talked about the hubris of scientists who just assumed junk DNA was junk. Now they're realizing the so-called junk DNA has purpose. They just didn't understand it. You realize that? And they're admitting that now. So you could use all kinds of apologetics for a creator. You could use apologetics and proof that Jesus rose from the dead because we have eyewitnesses that he has risen, amen? We have eyewitnesses that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And if you go to court and you have one person 
that gives eyewitness testimony of you, you either could be acquitted or you can end up in prison based on one person's testimony. How about this? Over 500 witnesses of Christ's resurrection. How about this? Testimony by his own apostles who were huddled behind closed doors, afraid after Jesus was crucified, who became like lions for God after they've seen the resurrected Christ and they sealed the testimony that he has risen in their own blood as martyrs. Amen? That's powerful evidence of the resurrection, guys. That's eyewitness evidence sealed in the blood of the Lord, or blood of the Lord's apostles. Amen? We have great evidence from the Lord Jesus Christ himself that he's risen. So these are apologetics that you use. And sometimes you need to whip out these apologetics. And guess what? It just takes some study, guys. Amen? Take some study. You just, you know, you, you study the word. You, you study apologetics. And you, you, you get to know the arguments and so forth. And it builds your faith, by the way. It makes you think. And I think apologetics are very, very important. Um, also, I love to use prophecy. I, use, I love to use prophecy of, because the God of the Bible puts himself against all the false gods. He says, I tell you the end from the beginning. He goes, these false gods, these, these, these idols you worship, they have ears that can't hear, they have mouths that can't speak. You have to carry your idols. God basically is sarcastic. You have to carry your gods around. What's that, God's saying? He's talk, that's God talking smack, talking against the other gods, you know. He's saying, he's saying, he's not like that. He doesn't need to do that. And he says, and I can tell you the end from the beginning. I can tell you what's happened. So when I'm witnessing to people, I'll say things like, for instance, let's say I'm witnessing to Peggy here. And I say, Peggy, and I'll do this a lot when I'm witnessing. I say, what if, what if you know, we're talking and, and, and I'm sharing with her, I go, what if, you know, and usually I'm out on the streets witnessing when I do this. I go, let's say, you know, at that intersection right there, in, in 25 seconds, exactly, there's going to be a big accident. And she's like, what? And then boom, in 25 seconds, there's a big accident. And she'd be like, what in the world? And now part of her might think I could have set it up. So then I go, and I go, well, what if in, you know, one minute and 14 seconds, there's going to be a huge earthquake? And you're going to see that building is going to come and crumble. Well, that happens. And she's like this. She's like, whoa. Now I can't start earthquake. She knows that. And then I say, you know what? In, in, in 15 seconds, that tree is going to come down and it's going to smash you unless you move out of the way. What do you think she does at that point? If she's halfway smart, right? Peggy's very smart. But she's going to what? Move out of the way. Because she's seen my track record just with two prophecies. And th so I get the person saying, well, yeah, I would move or whatever knowledge I give them, because I change it up and just go from whatever's in my brain at the moment usually. And then I say, okay, well, guess what? The God of the Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the future even of the ancient nation, Israel. And he uses that as an example in their history. And he's told their history in advance. Then I'll start to go through. So you learn some prophecy. I start to give their history and how he'd make them a people and that they'd be hated by all the other nations, that they would reject the Messiah, that they'd go into diaspora, that they would, uh, they had no place to set their foot, you know. He'd bring them back to becoming a nation again. And then when they became a nation again, they'd be brought back in unbelief, Ezekiel 36, before they'd be saved, which is what's happened. And that their streets would become, their children would be playing the streets again. And the tribes that were divided would be reunited. Now it's not Judah and Benjamin and, and the other tribes to the north. Now they're united, you know. And that the, their cousins to the east would want to destroy them. And all the world would eventually come against them. And and Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles, which on the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque or on the Temple Mount. You start to start rattling off whatever. These are just what's coming to my mind. But you start giving these, and then all of a sudden you start to show God's track record and what's happening with Israel right now. And you can use a lot of different prophecies. And then I've got their attention. But then guess what? I make it personal. I say, hey, guess what? There's other prophecies about you in the Bible. Peg, you know the Bible says that you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. 
and that he sent his son to save you. And if you accept his son, the prophecy states that you'll be forgiven and be with the Lord forever. But if you reject him, you'll be cast alive into the lake of fire. I got their attention. And at that point, sometimes that's when you hear, what must I do to be saved kind of thing. They're ready, you know. So apologetics, prophecy, uh, testimony I've already talked about. I love to use eschatology, not using past prophecy, but talking about what's going on right now. Nathan, when he gave his testimony, and I picked it up and I used it in my message, because in his testimony, he said he'd heard a lot about end time prophecy, but he went into meth and all these different things, got away from the Lord, and it was just his life became very ugly. He became callous, but nothing to do with Jesus. And then also he started seeing what was going on in the world. And it was because the seeds that were planted about prophecy, he said he began to panic, saying, this is exactly what I've been taught by my mom and what was going to happen is happening. I need to get right with God. So it's interesting because right now with COVID, I mean, if I would have said, guess what? With us, it's not a shock because I did say, I've told you for years, there would be ethnic tensions, right? Ethnic group against ethnic group. Not because I'm so smart, but because I read Jesus said nation against nation. And I point out to you, the Greek is ethnos against ethnos. It talks about there's going to be, it's not going to just go away. There's going to be ethnic group against ethnic group. It's going to be sad. And the love of many will grow cold. And lawlessness will fill the streets. Well, now they're trying to defund the police. They're real smart right now, you know. And lawlessness is increasing. The love of many are growing cold. And, and, I, and so when we see these things, why do we say, yep, that's exactly what God said would happen, right? The people that are saying, we're so civilized, we can pull ourselves up our own bootstraps and, and humanism, we're all going to just get along and imagine all the world, you know, living for today and we're all one and there's no heaven above us, no hell below us. And, you know, John Lennon's imagined. It's a lie because people need their hearts changed, Amen. But we tell people the truth. We tell them about prophecy and it gets their attention not only from past prophecy, but you tell them about what the Bible says about the future. And I'll, oftentimes I'll witness with eschatology what's happening in the world and saying, hey, this is what the Bible talks about. And then it's very relevant to their lives all of a sudden because they're in this world. And that's a very, very powerful way to witness as well. Another way I like to share, and this way I believe is not used very often, and I feel I wish it was used more, is... And because, and it's very personal to me because since I've been a Christian, I use this angle when I witness. And it's, it's exposing the powers of darkness. Because Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Expose them. That's not written to pastors, elders. That's written to the church. Because then after he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That word expose right there, that Greek word is the same Greek word that Jesus used in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, when he says the world or the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The word convict right there is the same word that's translated expose in Ephesians 5.11. So the Holy Spirit's going to convict or expose the world of its sin, of its righteousness, and of its judgment. Who's he going to use? We're the light of the world. He calls us Christians to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So we want to be separated from darkness, evil music, evil mu movies that promote smut and uh, are just full of junk, you know, uh, the things of this world, the comedians that are disgusting. We want to stay be separate. And we also want to expose that there's satanic design in these things. And you know what the context of that passage is? Awake, O sleeper, and let the light of Christ rise upon you, right? That you awake from the dead. It's about sharing with the lost and seeing those who are asleep in the darkness, eyes open and come to life in the light of Christ. 
And since we live in a very dark world and people are in the chains and fetters of darkness all around us, there's people, keep in mind, we look at, you know the biggest sin that's repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament is idolatry. It's, you know, it's, it's just full-blown idolatry. You see it throughout the scripture. It's the most dangerous thing that, that God's people could fall into. And it's the, what's binding the world in darkness right now. And I'm an iconoclast. I'm one of those, and, and hopefully you are too, where I tear down the idols of this world. I expose them because they keep people bowing down to the wrong God. And God said, I'll have no gods before him, amen. And what, you, what a, a, an iconoclast is, is one who tears down false idols. Now, I can't go into their rooms, and I can't go into their cell phones, I can't go into their computers and tear down these idols, but I have to persuade them, amen, and let them know these are idols, and these are not the true living God, and they're keeping you bound in darkness. And the reason that you are depressed, the reason that you are uh, dying inside or feel a sense of death inside is because you're bound by darkness and you need to come to the light of Christ. So having no fellowship with the unfruitful darkness, but rather what? Exposing them. And when I got saved, I got saved out of darkness. When I came to Jesus, I got on my knees and, and I, I cried out to Christ two different times. And both times I cried out to him, he delivered me from the power of darkness that I was in. And I became a new believer and I realized, wow, this is so real what I was into. And I began to open his word. And I started to see, wow, one of the strong currents in Scripture, one of the strong paradigms in Scripture is the motif of being delivered from the powers of darkness by the power of Christ. And that is undervalued, underestimated in the church today. We hardly ever hear about that as a way of witnessing to the lost. But there's an entire theme of that in Scripture. And the early church fathers saw this. They called it Christus Victor, Okay. I shouldn't say the early church fathers called it Christus Victor. That was a theory of the atonement that was uh, called later Christus Victor. But the, the early church fathers understood that, sa that Jesus came to deliver people from the powers of darkness. Now, Christus Victor, to me, is not the central aspect of the atonement. The central aspect of the atonement is what Jesus did on the cross in giving himself as a substitutionary atonement for us. Amen? So we always emphasize, like the Passover blood, amen, that was given instead of the blood of the firstborn, or the, uh, uh, on the Day of Atonement, you know, the goats or the lambs elsewhere on the uh, Day of Passover. Christ died in our place. They all pictured what Christ would do in our place, amen? But Christ died in our place to forgive us our sins and take our, the penalty for our sins upon himself to deliver us from not only the penalty of the Father's wrath, but also to deliver us from the power of Satan. And the early church fathers, uh, they talked about what we call Christus Victor, is that he came also to deliver us from the power of Satan. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says, the Son of God was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus went to the cross and he was arrested, he said when he was being arrested that this is the power or the hour of uh, this is the power of darkness, the hour of darkness he was going to face, amen? When he went to the cross, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that even as the children share in flesh and blood, that he, speaking of God, became flesh and blood. Why? It says to render powerless him who had power over death, that is the devil, amen? Jesus, Satan had power because when you submit to something, Romans 6, whatever you submit to, you become enslaved to. Now, unfortunately, some of the church fathers talked about how he paid a ransom to Satan. Jesus did not pay a ransom to Satan. He paid his ransom to the Father, amen? We owe the Father righteousness, amen, that we could never pay. And Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, amen? But they were, so th some of those got, th got that wrong, but they, what they got right was, guess what? He came to deliver us from the powers of darkness, and that's throughout the scripture. And by the way, why this is so relevant when you're witnessing is all kinds of people that you're witnessing to are under the power of darkness. 
Many of them have had spiritual. When I say how many of you had demonic attacks, demonic experiences, anything like that, all kinds of hands go up. When you're witnessing to people, they've had unexplanatory experiences which they don't know how to explain mystical spiritual experiences in darkness because they're getting the occult they're in the darkness things are happening you start talking about the spiritual world to them you know they'll start to perk up some will blame it on aliens or whatever else it's all over the place their ears will perk up because they've gone through certain experiences but then you let them know there's a spiritual war and there's the demonic world that they don't know christ are under that power but christ came to deliver them from the chains of darkness jesus came to set the captives free amen and it says when jesus died on the cross in colossians chapter 2 it says he paid for our sins you know it says the decrees that were written against us right were nailed to the cross they were satisfied in his his death on our behalf and it says by doing so it says he spoiled the principalities and powers and took them you know he he spoiled the principalities and powers that were arrayed against us and it's the language that's used of a war general who takes captive you know uh the, the 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 enemy and he parades them he takes he could even take the generals or even the king of another kingdom that he victors and then they'll have a parade. And in that parade, guess what they'll do? He'll show off the, the spoils. Say, look, we defeated these guys. These guys that you so feared that were high and mighty. And guess what? Then they'll show their POWs of the good king and they'll show, hey, look, they've been set free. They're set free. They're in the parade too, but they're free now. Guess what would happen when Jesus died on the cross? He set captivity captive in his train. Those who were in the lower parts of the earth who were disobedient before Jesus died on the cross because no one had yet ascended to heaven, Jesus said, except the Son of Man, amen. He went to the lower parts of the earth to set captivity captive in his train and he set them free because when Jesus died on the cross, he, John, the, the apostle John saw him in the book of Revelation, eyes of fire, face, uh, 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 hair white as snow, you know, and he fell in before him and as a dead man and Jesus put his right hand upon him and says, fear not, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of Hades and death. Amen. When he died, he set those, the righteous who had faith in him, righteous because of their faith, free. And those captives were set free. But guess what else happened also? He defeated Satan's power over us on the cross, whereby we can come to Jesus now and would be set free. And Satan doesn't have power of us as we trust in Christ through his atonement on the cross. Amen. So we have Christus Victor. So we need to share with people that Christ has power over darkness. He can deliver you from the demonic powers that you're bound to, the things that you're going through. And a lot of people are going through demonic struggles. They don't even know it. They just think it's some material thing they're going through. They don't even realize there's demons that work in their lives and that Christ gives them victory. These are all different ways. And I'm not saying, now, obviously, when you go up to somebody, you don't say, okay, let me remember the 52 things that Joe said. Okay? No, I'm giving you different ways. I don't share all these things at once. I, I, I say, Lord, show me what I need to say and put trust in him. And I don't say I always say it perfectly. Of course, I don't ever say anything perfectly after so many minutes because where there's much speech, the Bible says there's fault too. But what you're doing is you're trying to say as much, you're praying and saying, God, lead me and open their eyes. And you're praying as well when you're sharing with them. When they start to talk, listen to them. Be a good listener. See where they're at. But also be praying. Say, Lord, help them understand. Help them see you know, their need for Jesus. Help their, them see their, their need for salvation. Now, uh, this, so the Christus Victor, I think, is huge. And by the way, there's a great picture of the different aspects of Christ's atonement in the Bible. And uh, Christus Victor is when Jesus brings down the principalities and powers that were arrayed against us through his death on the cross. Because guess what? When we were submitted to Satan, it says he rendered powerless him who had power over death. That is the devil, it says. He rendered him powerless over us, amen? And he brought down the principalities and powers. They're still active, but they, can't, they, they don't have a place in you, amen? Of course, if you stop following Jesus, you turn to them, they have power in you. But think of this, man. 
There's a guy that's a great picture of Jesus. He's a terrible picture of Jesus as far as lifestyle. But there's all these types of Jesus. And none of these guys are perfect that are types of Jesus. Oh, Daniel and Job, not perfect. But they're two men that were very righteous. Joseph, right? He was a great picture of Jesus as well, rejected by his, the other tribes and so forth, put in the pit like Jesus was, giving the Gentiles, giving bread to the world, then reveal himself to his, his own Jewish brethren after the gospel goes to the world, the picture of the gospel. It's all these beautiful pictures. There's some men that have, you know, impeccable life. You know, you don't see their sin, but they're sinners too. Everybody needs grace. But guess what? There's one guy who's a horrible picture in his lifestyle, but he was a Nazarite named Samson, right? But he was a picture of Jesus too in his death, First, he was dedicated to the Lord. He's doing all kinds of wonderful things, filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? But guess what? He, was Jesus betrayed by Judas? Yeah. For money? Yes. Who else was betrayed? Samson. For money? By Delilah, right? Did they make sport of Jesus? Yeah, it says they, they, soldiers mocked him publicly. That's what they were doing with Samson, right? And Samson's hair had grown back. And when Jesus was put on the cross, what was he doing? He was dying for our sin. He was t- taking down the powers of darkness that were raided against us. Samson's arms were stretched out. Remember that? In between two pillars in the temple of Dagon, a demon god. And guess what? He pulled those pillars down and destroyed the temple of Dagon, a place of demon worship. Brought down principalities and powers. And it says he did more in his death than he did in his life. That could... Even more so be said of who? Jesus. And dying for us, he saved far more than he healed. Amen? Now there's millions, hundreds of millions that have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. So we have Christus Victor. But Christus Victor, you cannot divorce from the substitutionary aspect of what Jesus did on the cross in paying for our sins. And unfortunately, some are taking Christus Victor and they're like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the, this is the atonement. No, that's one. The atonement is so deep and beautiful and powerful, you can't relegate it to one thing. It's also, well, no, the the atonement is what Christ did to show God's love for us. Yeah, that's true too. But he also paid for our sins. He is also Christ's victor. It's all these things, a myriad of beautiful things that God has done in the atonement. You can't even wrap your brain around all of them. At least I can't. It's just so magnanimous, so amazing, so beautiful. So you want to teach Jesus. You want to share that Jesus has power over darkness. You want to let people know when you're sharing with them that Jesus just didn't come to die for your sins as important that that is and to give you victory so you can have eternal salvation and have eternal life. That's the main thing. But guess what? He also gives you victory over the things that you face in this life, over the principalities, the powers, over depression, over despair, over hopelessness, that you can have victory now as well. Amen? You let them know all the benefits that you want to or that, that uh, all the beauty of Jesus. Amen? Now those extra things are added to the beauty of the gospel. The gospel itself is John cha- or 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He says that Paul said, declaring the gospel by which you are being saved if you hold fast to that which I preach to you unless you believe to no effect that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Amen? Now, I want to encourage you as well if you're married to be patient with your spouse you say Joe I'd love to do a lot more evangelism than I do but you see my spouse doesn't know Jesus and I just feel like I can't do a whole lot because I'm married to somebody who's not a believer that doesn't really know the Lord and it really hinders my witness and I wish I could witness more guess what you are in a prime opportunity to witness right there amen that's your mission field that's your Judea amen I'm not saying you don't go beyond Judea right? Don't go beyond your Jerusalem, I'm sorry, to Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But I'm saying, you know what? 
you say, oh, man, I want to be a witness more, but man, my own children, they don't know Jesus. We're not talking about either or, right? We're talking about being a witness first and foremost in your house. So if you have a spouse that doesn't know Jesus, man, you are on the mission field right when you wake up in the morning. You don't have to say, wow, where should I go to be a witness, man? Should I go to Uganda or should I go to Chile or should I go to China? Or Man, you just woke up on the mission field. You need to be a good missionary. You be a good ambassador for Christ. A good example. Amen? In fact, it says to husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present the church to himself in all her glory without spot or blemish. Amen? So how did Jesus win us by giving himself for us? How's a husband to win his wife to Jesus? By dying to himself and being Christ-like and being a Christ-like example to his wife as to what it means to know Jesus and to be tender-hearted and loving toward her, to be patient like Jesus was patient with us, amen? And to wait on the Lord and seek his face and love her the way Jesus loved us, amen? If you're a sister in the Lord, oh, well, my husband's, you know, he's, he's, he's a wreck, you know, you know, I, and, and uh, you know, I just feel like leaving him and everything else. He's your mission field. And if you have a mission field that you're bound to, you know, if he hasn't committed sexual sin there's, or isn't leaving you, there's no excuse to just leave him. In fact, the scriptures tell us what to do when someone's disobedient to the word. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 3 to the women? It says, if your husband's disobedient to the word, what are you to do? Win him what? Win it without a word as he sees your example, right? With your chaste and holy conduct as you be a witness for Jesus and you be Christ-like. It's kind of interesting because both the man and the woman have Jesus as their example as how to win their spouse. The man has Jesus' example, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And that's also tied uh, later in scripture to winning her to Christ. And guess what? When the sister is married to a non-believer, that's your mission field as well right there. When you're married to a non-believer, guess what you're told to do? Follow Christ's example. How do I know that? sometimes where they put those chapter breaks I'm like man I wish you would have waited a few more verses till you put that chapter break there because just before it says to, to, to sisters to, to wives to, to be obedient to your husbands and to submit to them even if they're disobedient to the word right that you might win them without a word the context there is winning them to Christ that comes right on the heels of chapter 2 where it says that Christ has left us an example amen and he suffered in our place amen he was reviled but he didn't revile back he was reviled by the authorities. He didn't revile back, but he committed himself to his Father in heaven. Amen? And guess what happened through Jesus not reviling back, but being a witness and fulfilling his mission to be faithful to his Father? Guess what happened? He won the world to himself. Amen? Hundreds of millions of us have come to Christ. Amen? It was redemptive. And he's saying to the sisters, guess what? Your obedience to Christ and submitting to the Father in the midst of going through some struggles can be very redemptive in winning your husband to Christ. Amen? And I love, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16. It says, for how do you know, O wife? How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That's in the context of staying with an unbeliever if they don't want to leave, if they're not leaving you, right? And winning them to Christ. That's, that's not my opinion. This is the Lord letting you know you have a mission field. And you need to start looking at it as a beautiful thing. Wow, God's giving me a mission field. And this is the person you married anyway. And there wasn't a gun put your head when you married the person. When you said until death do us part, amen. If that person didn't become or turn back to the beggarly things of this world, you have a mission, amen. And guess what? As you look at him as your mission field or her as your mission field, if you're married to a non-believer, 
and you're patiently praying, even as the Lord was patient with us, that'll help you be a better missionary to other people as well because you'll learn where it's hardest to be a missionary at times. And when you learn where it's hardest, then it gets easier when you're ministering to other people. And guess what? It's in tough mission fields that the love of Christ shines the most in believers. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you're in mission fields where the study is hard, the witness is hard, the people are belligerent, and you're even persecuted. In 1 Peter, he talks about that as well. And he talks about how the light of Christ will shine on you. The grace of God will be upon you. And what I'm saying is if you're married to somebody who's obstinate toward the gospel, you continue to love them and, sh and shine for Jesus. You'll shine in circumstances and ways other people can't shine because it's a special thing that God's doing in you. And you just keep shining for Jesus, amen, and praying for them and asking the Lord to help, help you. With regarding your own children and being a witness to your children, and this is a big one, you know, because a lot of you have children. And one of the hardest things is to see children that don't embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. But you need to be patient with them, even as the Lord was patient with you. You need to pray for them constantly. I can't tell you how many people, in fact, how many of you came to Christ and your parents or a parent had been praying for you for some time. Amen? You guys, this is a big one. Do not relent in your prayers for your lost children if you have children that are lost. You know? You might be one of those, you're saying, wow, you know, there's so many of these kids that are on fire for a blessed hope right now, and we, it's amazing seeing what the Lord's doing. You know? It's just a lot of just, you're going witnessing, they're sharing the gospel. I love seeing all these young people together. It's beautiful. But you might be saying, yeah, but my kid hasn't caught fire yet. Don't stop praying for them, amen? Keep praying for them and being a witness to them and talk to them because there's a lot of young people and guess what? I'm listening to Nick's testimony and Nick got off the rails for a few years during his college years. You say, and guess what? Aileen was such a witness to him and still is and he brought her up over and over again in his testimony and how she was like a rock to him and, would, and, and how he, he talks about how I would witness to her and share with her uh, that Catholicism was a false gospel and it took a little while, took a, quite a while, before she finally gave up Catholicism and came to Jesus. And then he said he went to Blessed Hope. He grew in the Lord. He was growing in everything else. He even abstained from, in high school, he was a star. He was a great football player, wide receiver. He was a baseball player. You know, he thought he was going to become in the MLB and so forth. It didn't work out. And guess what? Before he knew it, he was kind of hanging out with his friends. But guess what? You could look at your son in that state and say, oh, it's over. No. Nick ended up coming to Jesus. Amen? Nick serves full time. He has a paid job where he's a chaplain. Amen? He's an elder in our fellowship as well, you know. He's one of the guys that taught up there just a few years later. Amazing what God does. Amen. You know, uh, same with Nathan. His mom could have given up on him, right? His dad could have given up on him. Talk about his stepdad. Uh, could have given up on him. They didn't. They continued to pray. It looked like he was, it was over for him, man. Now, I'm telling you what. When you hear these young people, they're just, they're like preachers, man. I'm listening to these guys give their testimony. I'm like, we need to turn these guys loose in the world, man. These guys are so excited about Jesus. They're quoting scripture left and right, all excited about the Lord. I'm like, God is so good. But guess what? There's times where that wasn't happening. And their parents could have just given up. But you need to continue to pray. You continue to shine the light. Continue to be patient and be Christ-like and not lose it. Amen? And not lose hope. And don't forget this when you have children who don't know Jesus. They belong to God before they belong to you. They belong to God more than they belong to you. In fact, in his word, he talks about the fathers and the sons are mine. They all belong to me. And I can tell you right now, as much as you love your children, when I saw uh, pictures of uh, Travis's wife, you know, 
just uh, Marissa just looking at her baby in tears, crying. It's just beautiful. And I was trying to tell them, you're not going to understand until you have your baby how much love is there and how deep it is. And I tell people, and I, I'm going, wow, she sees that love right there. And I said, you know what? If I tell people, I go, the love that you have for your children is a drop in the bucket of the love that the Father has for us. Because Jesus said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much will your Father give good gifts to you? In other words, how much more does he love us than we love our own children? The cross helps me understand the love of God. But when I see the love or I experience the love, or now I don't have to experience I can see the love of a mother toward a child. It's, it's like, wow, that's just a dim picture of the ocean. That's a drop of the ocean of the Father's love for each of us. Amen. So you remember that the Father loves your children more than you do. He wants them to see them saved more than you do. Amen. And he cares deeply for them. So you're not alone in this battle. Amen. In fact, the Father is using you as his helper. Not, you're not using him as your helper. You just make sure you're his helper, amen? And that you're praying, that you're witnessing, you're shining the light. And you know what Nick said was a powerful example of him? He said, my mom, no matter what she was going through for years and years and years, all, she's always church Sunday, midweek study, she's always there. She's so steady. It was always all about Jesus. When she came to Jesus, boom, and he goes, that was such a strong witness to me. Affected my life in such a powerful way. Parents, be an example to your children to evangelize them because that's something that stuck in Nick's head. Amen? Are you finding edification in this message, ideas? There's a lot of practical things that you can learn from just people around you that have had success by saying, what are they doing? What are they doing that's biblical? And you know what I love too? I love uh, Noah, man. This guy is building this big boat. He looks like an idiot to a lot of people. You know why? He's building a big boat saying there's a big storm coming and there's no rain. Doesn't ex rain does not exist yet. What? No. I mean, God watered the earth with a mist at that time. He goes, no, water's going to start falling down from the, from the heavens. <laughs> yeah, right, Noah. There's Noah building that big boat. And guess what? Do you th what do you think happened with his kids? Do you think his kids were like on fire? It says he was a preacher of righteousness. He built the ship for 20, 120 years. Do you think their kids were always, you think there's times where he wondered whether they'd get on the ship or not? Especially Ham. Come on, Ham. It's like, Ham was a ham, you know? It's like, is he going to get on this boat, you know? And you know what? There's probably times where he wondered, but he continued to build. He continued to stay the course. And by the way, the ark is a picture of Jesus. You don't have to build the ark. The ark already came. There was one way into the ark, amen, to save them from the wrath that was to come. There's one way to God. It's through Jesus. Amen. He saves us from the wrath to come. Amen. And, the, and if you look at the dimensions of the ark, it was a huge casket. Really. It was a huge casket that was floating because it was a picture. Peter says the water, the, in 1 Peter 3, the ark went through the water. That was a picture of death, baptism, and back up again. And when it rested on Mount Ararat, you look at the timing, it was it parallels the timing of Christ's resurrection. Christ is our victory. Amen. He suffered, he died, he was risen. In fact, that's why Peter says that now the baptism save us, not the washing of the dirt by the water. Baptism doesn't save you, the water doesn't save you. But he says the answer of a good conscience toward God means it's your faith that saves you by grace, amen? But when you have an answer of a good conscience toward God, that's when he talks about the, the ark though being a picture of our baptism, you know? And it's a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. And guess what? You don't have to get your kid into a physical ark. You bring them to Jesus and make it your objective to bring your children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you with me? Pray and don't give up. Keep seeking the Lord. And I'll tell you another reason I want to
just mention a few more things on prayer and then a few more points is when I look at the verse that says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much if you're trusting Christ you have the righteousness of Christ amen if you're following him you're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much it does much good it's very effectual you need to be praying but guess what that comes right before James chapter 5, 19 and 20. Say you have a child that was brought to know Jesus, but they're backslidden. They turned away from the Lord. They're not following now. Well, that verse, when it says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, it's in the context of Elijah giving an example. And Elijah says, a man that's just like us. He had physical, he had frailties. He fought with his flesh, just like us. But he sought the Lord. And the Lord stopped it from raining for three and a half years. Amen. The Lord made it rain for three and a half years. Amen. So what's interesting about this is it's when Israel was in apostasy and we need to pray for people. It says pray for one another when, uh, you know, for each other that you may be healed, amen? But guess what? It's also in the context of apostasy or backsliding among others in our, around us, including your children possibly. Because at the very end of James, right after he says this, a couple of verses later, in James 5, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, you know what he says? Brethren, if there's any among you who strays from the truth and one converts him back he'll save a soul from death and he'll hide a multitude of sins amen did he catch that if you're praying for people your children go astray the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much what's the context praying for another that you may be healed your children need healing spiritually maybe physically and if any of them go astray pray why because if you bring them back You'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. My point is, is prayer is connected to bringing people back from a backslidden state. Amen? So pray for if you have children that have gone astray. That's very, very important. Very, very powerful. And when you're sharing the gospel, do not underestimate the power of the gospel. You may say, I mean, there's times I go witnessing, I go sharing, and you know, you might feel feeble. You might just feel like, man, I'm tired. I don't know if I'm, you know. And you just say, God, Paul, by the way, prayed for boldness. Pray for your own presentation. Lord, give me boldness. Paul asked the, at the church of Ephesus, he says, pray that God would give me boldness. A lot of people, how many of you think that Paul was just a bold guy by personality? I think he probably was a little bit, only because, uh, you know, look at how he chases down. He was zealous, right? But at the same time, his speaking ability wasn't considered the best. He says to the Corinthians, you say that I'm weak, you know? So Paul prays, he asked for prayer that he could speak boldly. It's when you think that you've already arrived. You think, I don't need to pray, man. I'm natural. Then you're in trouble. You fall on your face. Oh, and you might be a natural, but you're natural in your own flesh. You're not going to bear any fruit for God. I like what Moses said. You know, I can't even talk. And the Lord said, I'm going to be with your mouth. Amen. The Lord will be with your mouth because he wants to use you. Trust him to be with your mouth and just say, Lord, use me and open my mouth and he'll put words in your mouth and he'll use you in effective ways. So all these things are very, very vital very, very, uh, very, very important. Uh, now, a few more things. Uh, don't estimate, as I mentioned, the power of the gospel. Because when you unleash the gospel, the Bible says in Romans 1.16, when you just share what Jesus did, his death, burial, and resurrection, you may have said it a thousand times or thought about it a million times, and sometimes it can lose its impact even on you because you become innocuous to it, or you just accept it and you take it for granted. But you know what? When a non-believer is dead in their sins and they hear the gospel, man, it, the Bible says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen? 
It's the power of God to salvation. Amen? Like Spurgeon said, you don't have to defend a lion. Just let the lion out of the cage. It'll do its work. Amen? You've got the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just let it loose. You just share the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, I want to share another concept with you that's very, very important. In fact, you know what? Half of my message was on this with them in the men's retreat. And I'm only sparing a few minutes for this concept, maybe five or six in this message. And that is the use of the law. I, I spent probably 45 minutes or 55 minutes or so talking about this at uh, my mess, during my message and going through a lot of scriptures. But I won't go through all the scriptures, but I'll just say this. The Bible says, without the knowledge of the law, there's no knowledge of sin. You don't know what sin is until you have God's moral law against sin. Amen? And people have the law written in their hearts. Secular people that don't know Jesus, that have never picked up a, a Bible in their lives, they have a conscience. Con means with. With, right? Shince, S-C-I-E-N-C-A, science, means knowledge. People have a conscience or they are with knowledge. What knowledge? They're with the knowledge of good and evil. They're born with the knowledge that, they, that they're, it's wrong to murder people. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. That's why people have guilt, because they have this knowledge. Amen? And the Bible says that through the knowledge of the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul said, I would know, not know what sin was unless I became aware of thou shalt not covet. Right? Thou shalt not murder. He says, when I became aware of the law, he says there was a time when I was alive. He's talking about spiritually. When he was a little kid, you're alive spiritually. He goes, then the law, knowledge of the law came and I died. Then he need to be born again. And he says, who's going to save me from this, this body of death? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And if you go back, Paul's not talking about his Christian state there. Just back up to verse 7 in Romans 7. He's talking about when he was a little kid and not even aware of the law. And then he became aware of the law and he was trying to fight to keep the law. And he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's not the Spirit in him against the law. It's him against the law. And we're not, we're not trying to keep the law. Amen. That's him as a, a young rabbi or young kid, then a rabbi. He's fighting to keep the law. And he, but guess what the God used the law to do? To bring him to Jesus. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Then he says, thanks be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the law and the knowledge of the law brings the knowledge of sin, but the knowledge of sin and the, the fact that you also share not just the law with people, that you've broken God's law, but that, guess what? There's judgment coming. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the law. We're all guilty. You share with people when you're sharing with them that they're guilty before God. I'll share with people all the time. Sometimes I'll give the good person test that Ray Comfort does. I think that's really cool. But a lot of times I just skip right to it. Boom! If you were to die today and you're standing before God, why would, and, he, and he asked you, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? And usually they'll start rattling off good things they did. And I go, no, you wouldn't get in because no one's good. There's not one good. We're all sinners. We've all done this. And haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, you're not getting in. You need Jesus. You give them the law. Before you bring them to Jesus, you give them Moses. Because the law gives them awareness. Because they don't know that they need to be saved until they realize they're condemned by the law. Do you understand that? What would Jesus mean to them and come to Jesus if they don't realize they need to be saved and they need a Savior? Amen? So you need to share with them that they've broken God's law. So you give them a test. You know, you give them a test. You say, hey, you know, oh, I hate to do this test to people. So I'll just say Frank, Okay. You know, because at the men's retreat, I picked on a couple guys. I'm like, poor guys, you know. Joe Bucks, my brother-in-law, goes, man, Joe, you had to do that to me. I'm, the first question is, hey, you know, sometimes you'll say, hey, have you ever told a lie? Just even a small lie. Yeah, yeah, okay, what does that make you, a liar? Okay, have you ever, you know, uh, taken something that doesn't belong to you? 
Uh, even a paperclip, anything. Yeah, what does that make you? A uh, stealer? No, makes you a thief, okay? You know, I usually sell, sell them, I'll say stealer. I go, that was a thief, liar, stealer. Okay, so you're a lying thief, you know? You ever have impure thoughts towards someone of the opposite sex or anybody, actually, these days, right? And, uh, well, what does that make you? Jesus said if you have these impure thoughts sexually, it makes you an adulterer, right? Have you ever had hateful thoughts towards somebody, wish they were dead or just wish they were hurt or something? Jesus says that makes you, that's murder, Jesus said. Have you ever... Use God's name in vain. GD or, you know, using the name of Jesus Christ. And, and usually they'll say, yeah. And, and they might not say, yeah, to all these. Usually they'll say, yeah, to all these. But they'll say, yeah, to some of them for sure. And if they say no to all of them, then I'll say, the Bible says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. The truth is in you. So you got the first one wrong, you know. But then have you ever, you know, yeah, I've, I've used God's name in vain. Okay. Have you ever put anything before God? Because the Lord God says that he's to be first. There's no to be God. No God's before him. You're supposed to love with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You ever put anything before God? anything at all where you did something and disregarded God yeah what does that make you it makes you an idolater so by your own admission you're a lying thieving adulterous murdering blaspheming idolater that does not sound good and a lot of those guys are the revelation 21 8 list of those who go to the lake of fire so then you preach judgment not just the law you've broken but the bible says put a man once to die but after this a judgment you let them know their state and then now they realize they need to be saved amen then you're ready to preach Jesus to them and share the gospel of salvation with them. And I think this is so vital. It's so important that we get this, that we understand this. Amen? I love Ray Comfort's uh, analogy. He wrote a book called the, uh, uh, Hell's Best Kept Secret. And Hell's Best Kept Secret is the idea of Satan trying to keep you guys from using the law to get people to become aware of their sin because it's so effective in letting them know they need the Savior. So keeping people from witnessing by, using, by trying to keep them from using the law. God wants us to let people know they've broken God's law. They need to be saved. And Ray used a really cool parachute analogy. And I kind of tweak his parachute analogy for my own purposes and just put a little spin on it. But the parachute analogy is really good to show why it's important to let people know they need Jesus and they've broken God's law and that they're doomed. And the analogy basically goes like this. I'm going to give just a synopsis of it. But you're on a plane. And guess what? The plane is going down. And there's only so many parachutes available. And I'm already probably butchering it, but I have my own way of saying it. And you're going to go down, but guess what? They don't want to offend anybody, and they want people to put on these parachutes, and they don't want to scare anybody. So they try to get people to put on these parachutes. So somebody comes up to you, and they said, you know, a store just comes up to you, you know. Uh, Jocelyn Osteen comes up to you, the store just. And Josh, Josh, uh, or Joelison, Jocelyn, Osteen, whatever that would be, I'm trying to make her him a female, and says, you know what, put this parachute on. It'll be your best flight now. You have the best flight you'll ever have with this parachute. How effective is that going to be? Not very effective. As soon as the turbulence comes and, and the person's bent over and people are snickering at them because they have this parachute on, and, and well, they sort of said, give me my best life now, they're going to take it off, right? Or... Gloria Copeland, not Kenneth, but his wife, Gloria Copeland, says, hey, why don't you put this parachute on? It'll make you healthy and wealthy on your flight. That's not going to be effective either. But what if the captain comes, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says, you need to put this parachute on because this plane is going down in like five minutes and only those with parachutes are going to survive. You're going to put the parachute on, most likely, if you have any sense at all, amen? And you're going to keep it on when the turbulence gets really, really bad. Because, you know, that's part of the deal. You knew it was going to get bad. Amen? And that's why we need to preach the truth to people. Let them know judgment's coming. Because when they know judgment's coming, then they want Jesus. Amen? But you give them, you give them, you give them Moses to bring them to Jesus. Amen? 
You give them Moses to bring them to Jesus. One of the things I did, which I'm not going to do here, I showed them the men at the retreat. All these things that happened, whether it was breaking the Sabbath, whether it was complaining against Moses, whether a bunch of different things that the Jews did after they left for the promised land in the initial part of it, and nothing happens to them hardly. There's no judgment. And then later on, you know, it's not people hunting for man on the Sabbath. There's a guy looking for sticks and he's stoned to death. Or it's, they're complaining against Moses and now 15,000 are killed by snakes. And all of a sudden, everything gets ugly. They're doing the same thing they did earlier when they first left Egypt. But now, guess what? I show judgment after judgment after judgment. When it's the same thing that they're doing over here where there's nobody dying. And now you have all these people dying for doing the same thing. I said, what happened in between? You know what happened in between, guys? Sinai happened. They received the law of Moses. And guess what? Paul says the law brings the knowledge of sin and it brings death, amen? So you let people know about Sinai. You let them not, I'm not talking about they're under the Jewish law, but you let them know we're all under the law of God, the moral law of God. We've all broken it to move them to the promised land, to move them to the knowledge of Jesus. Because Paul said that the law is a school teacher that leads us to Christ. That's the King, the King James says a schoolmaster. The NASB says tutor. The Greek word is pedagoge. And pedagoge means, uh, it was used of a slave that was hired by the people or used by the people or a servant or somebody they hired, the parents, to discipline their child, to bring him to school and pick him up. So he'd get schooled. And so he'd get, when he got out of line, he'd be disciplined by this guy. And you know what? These kids were so happy when they got reached adult age and they didn't have to have that guy follow around whipping them anymore. Well, Paul says, guess what? The, the, the law of Moses, that was like that. The law was that way, and it leads us to Christ. And when Christ comes, you're like, oh, thank God I have you, Jesus, now. You love me. You gave yourself for me because I didn't like that guy, you know. And it's a school teacher that leads us to Christ. Amen? And you need to let people know they're doomed. And you know what? I've said all these different ways you can witness to win the lost, right? But guess what? Think about this. When you're witnessing to the lost, sometimes you only have a few minutes. We were going to the men's retreat. We were dying of thirst. It was hot yesterday, wasn't it? And we're getting on the freeway after we got gas or what, I don't know what we did. James and I and my son Josiah. And all of a sudden, we're about ready to get on the freeway and then there's this boba time. You guys ever have boba? Really great Asian drinks, man. Not alcoholic, okay? Just got boba in it. You don't have to have the boba. We pull off, we go in there. And a couple people had to go to the bathroom and stuff. So we're, and there's a few people in line and so forth. And you know what? We got a little bit of time. I'm waiting and uh, waiting for our drinks, which were really good. And then all of a sudden, a guy comes in and his shoulders are up like this, like really, really, really high. And I try to find, I'll say, I'll say silly things, things that will embarrass my family sometimes or whatever, to get people talking, just to show them love and sometimes and hopefully get to the gospel. And I said, hey, what's wrong with your shoulders, buddy? Because he's all like this, you know. And now if he had a problem physically, I would never say that. Okay, but he didn't have a mask on, so he had his thick dish walking around. I go, hey, what happened to your shoulders, man? He goes, oh, I've got to get no mask. I'm like, oh, okay. I go, where's your mask, man? Just messing with him. And he's like, oh, I don't got one, you know? And, uh, and then the lady's like, I didn't mean to get him in trouble. She goes, hey, yeah, you need a mask to be in here. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> you know? I mean, he was going to be spotted. He was going up there to get a drink anyway. And you know what? I, and I thank God I had an extra mask in my pocket, which I don't usually, I never have an extra mask in my pocket, but you know, you don't get rid of one and you're like, oh, I got two now. I go, hey, use this mask, man. He was so happy. Well, guess what? He knew I was playing with him. And now he has a sense of obligation. I just did something really nice to him. Now he needs to listen to me. <laughs> then I gave him the gospel and I used the picture of the mask. I go, you need a mask to get in here? I go, hey, guess what? You're not getting to heaven unless you have, unless you're forgiven because you've broken God's law. I gave him a really quick version of the 
uh, the good person test. And I said, man, and I straight up my arm, I go, Jesus died on the cross and paid for all your sins so you could be saved. And I said, that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. And he listened and stuff, and then he got in line, you know, and then Josiah was ready, and James and I left, and, and Josiah, and he just gave a quick hit. That was like, how long did that take, James? Two minutes? Just bam, 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 bam. But it didn't hurt. In fact, you know, you're going home, you're driving, you're like, praise God, that was cool. I could have just said, hey, how's that guy, you know, don't, don't have a mask, you know, and just walk by him. But you just engage people, you know. And you know, when Wendy had uh, shared with me, she was sitting up here, uh, a couple weeks back and she said I had this crazy dream and I want to tell you about this dream and she was I don't know what it meant what do you think you know and, and uh, I didn't know what it meant and then she shared it with me later again or just said something that stood out in the dream and I said I still don't know then guess what Winnie I know now I think I know I think I know because it was such a vivid dream and she said I was in it and she goes in my dream I was in line and and I was in line at the supermarket and you were the checker I'm like, I'm the checker. Okay, maybe I'm going to lose my job and become a checker. You know, I'm listening to her dream, you know. Or maybe I need more money so I can become a checker. I don't know what's going on there. And she goes, yeah, and you were a checker, and you had a Jewish star on you, you know. And I couldn't, and when I was getting my food, I had no money. I couldn't get through the line. I was 180 bucks. I don't know if we had a price. It was some, she couldn't afford it. She goes, I couldn't get through the line, you know. And she says, you went to go get the manager to, to help, you know. And uh, she goes, I don't know what it meant. And I go, she goes, what do you think? And I go, I don't know either. Then she brought up later, once or twice later, we were, and she goes, the last time she came up, she goes, she said, you know what stuck out the most about it? And she brought up this earlier about it being, the star being lit up real bright. But this time she came, she didn't go through the whole dream. She goes, you know what really stood out about my dream is that the star of David that was on you, it was all Christmassy. It was all lit up. It was so beautiful. It was so powerfully lit up. It was amazing. She goes, it just really stood out. And then even then when you told me that, Wendy, I didn't get it still. Then when I was preparing for this message, I go, oh, Joe, so obvious. Guess what? I can't bring you to Jesus. I can just let you know at the check stand you can't get in. I can give you the law, right? The Star of David. It's the Old Testament and the law, right? I could, I could give you the law and let you know you can't get through the line. You don't have the goods. You're stuck. But guess what? That lit up star reminded her of Christmas and the Star of David, right? And guess what? The law points us to who? It's a school teacher. It's a tutor that leads us to who? Christ. I can't get you in, but guess what? Let me get the manager. Do you get it? Let me bring you to Jesus, Wendy. Because he loves you. He gave himself for you. And that's how you get in, not based on your own works or paying your own way, but based on what he did for you on the cross. Amen? You know what? God's always given us things like that. A guy walking in with his shoulders up with a mask, an illustration that you can use, a dream, you know? Uh, a parable of the guy that had the wrong clothes on because he wanted to come in his own righteousness. You just find things to use around you to illustrate Jesus as Lord and that he is the Savior. He's the one that gave himself for us. He died for us. He rose again. And he is the way, the truth, and life. We need him and he's the only way you can be saved. Amen. But let's get out there and start sharing with people. Let's pray, pray, pray and share and say, God, help. And once you start doing it, it gets easier and easier. When you first, and water's really hot, you're going to take a bath, it's like, ah, oh, it burns. You get your toe in there, you get your foot in there, or a jacuzzi, you're getting a jacuzzi, and once you're in, you're like, oh, this feels good. Just keep trying to get in, eventually it's going to feel good. Amen? And once you get out, yeah, I've done it for a while, it's going to ease back into it. But just pray and get into it, and let's win this world as many as we can to Christ before he comes back. Amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand and do communion? Hey, we went a little long. I'm sorry about